Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And back in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Zach, man, it was great having you here. It was so great to meet you. Yeah, same. It was it was a pleasure to get to spend some time with both of you, Joanna, to to actually meet you in person. Mm-hmm. Hard as it is to believe, you know, you podcast with someone long enough and they they feel like family. But, yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know, like either you know a, a, a beloved cousin in Joanna's case, or the brother that you can't seem to get rid of, like Adam. Oh, uh, interesting. <laughs> wow. No, here, but come on. Our our you know our uh, our. <laughs> contentious conversations are a part of what I think some of our listeners enjoy, I mm-hmm. hope. Oh, I hope so. Uh, it's very lovely. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me out for a, a really epic party. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. Thank you. It was a lot of, yeah, it was a crazy epic yeah, party. A, a lot of fun. Party. But everyone was very responsible, too. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. true. It was It was just the right <laughs> amount of fun. It was. So, I mean, obviously you enjoyed the party. So besides the party though, what else did you drink this week that was really delicious? Uh, I would say there were kind of two great experiences for me. One was a chance to visit uh, the newer location of Dante. Had you been? Uh, so you had the been. West Village. You've been to Dante I, before I, though, right? I've only ever been to the one uh, right. on McDougal, which is where I used to hang out as a uh, college student. But but hmm. it was not Dante Dante. No, then. it wasn't the, no. that Dante back no. then. No, it was not that kind of Dante. It was just the, an Italian cafe where yeah. I drank a cappuccino and pretended to study and mostly just people watched pretty yeah. you know pretty regularly but uh the the west village one is is obviously uh, a little bigger um nice and kind of you know breezy and i had two cocktails that we've talked about on this podcast a few times uh we i had a proper negroni bianco Mm-hmm. Um, which I know has been a bit of a struggle for both yes. you and me, Adam. Yes. Uh, and that was delicious. And then I had um, actually two martinis because it was that kind of day. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it was that uh, kind of day. Yeah. And it was the, the you know, like Dante's, their whole thing is their martini hour, one of their many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, uh, I had one and then some friends joined and was, had finished my first martini. I was like, let's just make it a the two martini kind of afternoon. So that was great. Uh, a lot of fun visiting there. And then, honestly, one of the things that was really kind of cool is I went to dinner on uh, Friday night with some uh, college friends of mine, okay. and we went to a kind of innocuous wine bar uh, on like in Midtown. Um, and you know, it was kind of convenient. Some friends were coming in from Long Island, so it was near Penn Station, so it just kind of had to be somewhere where everyone could meet. And a couple of our friends, in particular, are pretty adamant they wanted to dine outside, which I understand. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, again, sort of limited offerings uh, or options for a larger group outside on a Friday night. And so we ended up at a place called wine 30 which was fine it wasn't anything spectacular but it was it was just fine but they had a really remarkable like collection of old italian wine that was very reasonably priced and it was kind of Mm. wild to be like in midtown drinking like 20 year old barolo for 150 bucks which i understand for some listeners does not sound like an incredible (laughs) bargain but like given what that wine would probably cost in a lot of um manhattan restaurants i was like sure i'll buy that that's great Hmm. so that was really cool um how about you guys joanna um, well, after the party, uh, I was not drinking for a little while. Um, <laughs> but then, <laughs> uh, the other night, uh, I went to Katana Kitten for nice. the first time. Yes, it's a bar over in the West Village um, to celebrate Evan's birthday. Um, it's my partner. And uh, yeah, it was great. I, I guess I just didn't know what to expect from that place because it's been on the list of world's best bars. Um, but it has a great vibe and yes. the drinks are excellent. <clears throat> We had a few different cocktails, uh, the Hanoki Martini and a Highball, um, but the standout for me was their um, Amaretto Sour, which they oh. serve on a big rock uh, with a dusting of red shiso and salt uh, seasoning, which was really, really good. Yeah, I've heard it. It's amazing. It was great. 
Really yeah. cool spot. I I can't wait to go back. People talk about about uh, talk about it a lot. I know people actually have said that like they've used it and like stolen it and tried to like recreate it. At the Amaretto other, Sour at other bars around the country uh, yeah, when they've had it because it's like so well known. Mm-hmm. So that's good. such a fascinating thing too because the Amaretto Sour is like one of those cocktails that you think about as like very out of style. At least I, I would think about it. Like when I would bartend or, or or serve or whatever, and you know, very few people would order an Amaretto Sour, and mm-hmm. you know, it was just like wild to think that that's like now a, a, a trendy drink again which is cool i mean now what's next like the midori sour that would be kind of interesting Ooh, i'm sure someone can make one that tasted okay yeah <laughs> uh that's really interesting yeah how about you adam uh so two two cool things one um i had some uh, some friends over saturday night we like did one of our first dinner par- parties like nice yeah and uh i opened a really old bottle of 2001 Cab Franc from Barbersville, mm. which was really, really awesome. Very delicious. Um, and then also last night, um, I went to Temple Bar. Man, I saw that. I'm so jealous. I'm going next week. That's one of my favorite bars, or was, and now is again, that it's reopened yeah. in, in New York. And now it's been reopened by the owners of Attaboy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was super cool. Did you have the Blue Negroni? I did not. I had the Gibson. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then my friend had uh, a tiki cocktail they make, and they split the sherries, and the sherries are the main ingredients. It was a mm. low ABV tiki cocktail. Nice. Uh, it was really cool. I mean, it's funny because it was weird. Like, there was a bouncer out front, and mm. like I was thinking, oh, man, we're not going to get in. This would be so annoying. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they're like, yeah, sure, come on, come on in. <laughs> and we walked right in. I think we went early enough. We went around like – nine mm-hmm. and so there wasn't that much of an issue but also i guess you, you make reservations yeah so people are very pumped about it mm-hmm. and, and uh, it was i mean definitely was packed like everyone's having a great time mm-hmm. but it was it's so cool inside it's such a good spot yeah it's such a cool spot mm-hmm. so yeah so i'm it's very exciting that it's reopened mm-hmm. super exciting so yeah so that's about uh, about it for me so uh this week we're gonna kick off american wine month on the site so mm-hmm. our sort of editorial theme for the month by talking about is American wine, or can you define? Can you define American, American wine? wine? Like, is is it as a category? What makes it unique? Um, and it's very tough to define. Uh, we're it also is. we're also sitting here uh, in the <laughs> studio with the Vine Pair Tastings right here and host of Wine One Hundred and One is like trying to not talk <laughs> because because Keith's like I've got so many opinions. Um, but yeah, I'm curious. You know, Zach, you want to take a stab at it first? Like, what is American wine? Sure. So I think one of the reasons why I wanted to, I think we're all interested in this conversation is like, you know, some smart ass out there is like, duh, it's wine from America. And like, yes, geographically, yeah, duh, we it know is. the borders of America, <laughs> fine. Um, but also, but I think that one of the reasons why this is really interesting to discuss is because... Well, hold on, Zach. Before you say that, a lot of a lot of other people, though, from other parts of, the, of America will say, sure, South American wine is also American wine. Okay. That's true. Yes. But mm-hmm. let's I say, for, well, I, I think the way we are generally using yes, it on the site is <laughs> wine from the United States. Yes. Right. Um, so fine. We'll, we'll say, you know, wine from the United States. How do you kind of. How do you define Can you them? make. Yeah. And how, can you make generalizations about it? And I think that why that's interesting to me is that as the wine industry in the United States has matured and grown and expanded, that some of the sort of things that were said about wine from the United States a few decades ago or even a decade ago don't really hold true in terms of being 
you know, these kind of sweeping generalizations when what most people thought of when they thought of wine from this country was wine from California. And, and even then, more specifically, wine from, you know, certain parts of Northern California, mostly. And so to me, if I were to start by kind of trying to codify some kind of definition or generalization about wine from the U.S., I would say that it embodies kind of three fundamental ideas. The first one is is freedom. And I don't mean to be like a flag waving patriot here. But I think one of the things that is appealing to so many winemakers in so many different uh, areas and, and with so many different stylistic approaches is the idea that because um, wine in this country is still a relatively new thing, it's a growing industry, we're exploring and pushing boundaries, that there's this incredible opportunity to kind of do almost whatever you want. And as long as you can, America. You know, aim it, yeah, exactly. As long as you can make the wine, you know, well, hopefully, and you can find a market for it, there's no reason that you can't center your wine region or your winery around, you know, Petit Mansang or, you know, uh, St. Pepin in the, in the Great Lakes or, you know, Cabernet Franc in Washington state or whatever the heck you want. And that you're not beholden to sort of um, established ideas totally about what great wine is. The second thing I think to me is, is that you are seeing more and more development of this idea that wine can be a part of a, of a place. And I don't want to get into a terroir conversation, but what I mean more is that in the same way that, you know, craft beer has already kind of cracked the code of feeling very local wherever you are. And even if the, some of these, you know, local craft breweries do have a, a regional or a national presence, they still mostly feel like they're of the place they're from. And that wine too, in a lot of parts of the country and a growing number of places in the country can be connected to the place, uh, to the region that surrounds it. And and wine isn't a thing that you have to get imported from other parts of the world. It can be a, a part of your local economy. And then third, I think the other part of it is, and this is something that's really interesting to me to discuss too, is that wine is, is a is not just a product, it's not just a beverage, but it's an experience. And American, you know, kind of wine in the United States is so connected to the experience of tasting rooms, visiting wineries, and all of that mm-hmm. in a way that I think is not as true, certainly in much of Europe. And where it is true in Europe, it's largely because of the influence of the wine industry in this country. But that's me talking a lot. How about you guys? Well, Joanna, please. <laughs> thanks, what thanks is American wine? <laughs> and respond. Um, Hmm. Well, I think there. when I was thinking about this prompt earlier, I was thinking that there are probably certain winemakers or regions that have helped define the American quote unquote style of wine, of that wine. Right. So I think of like a Napa cab being one of them or maybe sure. Riesling in the Finger Lakes or like white Zinfandel and that style that gained popularity in the mid seventies. But and then and they're like defining certain grapes or wines in a distinctive American way or style. But I'm not sure there's a more comprehensive definition for American wine or American style wine. Uh, like, as you said, like, I don't know if you can just make a, a sweeping generalization for Mer- American wine. I think the things for me that define American wine, <laughs> America, is, yes, I hear what you're saying, Zach, about all the different abilities for experimentation and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But I would <laughs> Is say- that what it sounds like when I talk? Kind of like Charlie Brown, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so basically what I think is that at least in, as talking now, in the year of our Lord, 2021, I would say <laughs> that it still is very much defined by a 
a country dominated by basically one state. Sure. Mm -hmm. Come at me, Oregon and Washington. Like, come at me, but still really dominated by California. And hyper-focused on just a few very classic French varietals. Mm -hmm. Cabernet, Merlot, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, basically. That, at this point, is American wine. Mm. And there is... A you know there is a desire to go past that right. There are some really cool people that are now doing peak pool like Randall Graham and things like that. But mm-hmm. it's not. It's still I think as a whole it is why every vineyard across the country in developing regions you will find a Cabernet Sauvignon mm-hmm. because they think that's what the American population is looking for, right? So you go out to the Finger Lakes, mm-hmm. you, I mean, up to the Finger Lakes, you go out to the North Fork, you go down to Georgia where they're making wine. But in that very specific style. Yes, mm-hmm. or tr- trying mm-hmm. to make trying it like to. that, mm-hmm. right? Because they think that's what's going to sell. And that is why I think there has been, until recently, a reluctance to be like, oh, shit, we're in Georgia, and maybe in the vineyards in Georgia, I don't know, a, a crazy Spanish varietal will, will grow mm-hmm. better, Right. Because the American wine consumer still has just begun to evolve and has really only thought of these as being the wines to drink, Mm -hmm. there is a very much, I think, I think the American wine that we know of is still represented by those really four wine grapes. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's important to mention, though, Adam, like it's not just it's the American wine consumers impression of american wine yes it's their impression and i think that impression is reinforced is basically formed by the wines coming out of california Mm -hmm. and whether or not we you know there are a few there are small portions of people who will say that they're you know they're actually being formed by the cool rieslings you made in the finger lakes or in your case zach the interesting wines coming out of like the okanagan valley and things like that well that knows how that's canada um that's okay Yakima but Valley? I, Yakima Valley, yeah. I just know that you really like you like the Okanagan too. So I'm like, <laughs> I do, it's like, true. I'm Different like, valley. When we when we annex British Columbia, we'll be all good. <laughs> but but you know, I, I think that there is there are small groups of those people, but the majority of American consumers are influenced by California and California mm-hmm. is yeah. American wine. And what do yeah. you think it would take to change that? Oh, that's a fucking loaded question. I have no I don't know. California <laughs> maybe California just like there's an earthquake and it just becomes an island. I don't know. Like, California is incredibly – no, I don't mean that my California people. I really love California. I just – it's such a dominant, dominant player in the world so of does wine. So will it take California changing their wine, breaking that mold kind of? I don't think they want to. They're making too much right. scrap. <clears throat> no reason you know? to. I well, mean like – yeah, I don't know. What, exactly, what do you think it would take for California to not be – the dominant wine region of the United States defining what American wine is besides well, climate change. Like, <laughs> right, I would say outside yeah. of the doom and gloom situations, I would say, you know, one thing is you are seeing slowly, but, but surely the percentage of, of American wine that is produced, um, in Cal- like California is a, just because other States are producing more wine is becoming a slightly smaller, uh, slice of the pie. It's still by far the dominant producer in the, in the country. But I think with California, and certainly with some of these regions, you are already kind of butting up against a problem of, you know, for a variety of reasons, an inability to expand production more. And as America becomes more and more of a wine drinking nation, as has definitely happened over the last couple decades, I think you are seeing more interest in wine from not just other parts of the United States, but from the world over, of course. 
I think that there is there is an undeniable fact that that what you are saying is true, Adam. That that California's preeminence, and specifically, you know, both as a, a bulk producer from certain places, uh, but also from you know the premium regions and other places, um, and, and both those kind of defining American wine consumers' preferences towards wine. I do think that one thing that could change is this idea of maybe breaking the hegemony of those few grapes in a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. you are starting to see people even within Napa Valley, people within uh, certainly within other regions kind of highlight, trying to highlight other varieties and a broader recognition across the wine drinking public that there is more out there than just Cabernet Sauvignon, just Merlot. And, and whether that ever really changes things at the root level, I'm not totally sure, but I do think you are seeing more people want to to connect with wine differently and and to the last point i made before i think also you see the the somewhat as we've discussed on the podcast before that the the inaccessibility or just the frankly like you know sort of eye-popping price tag of taking a trip to napa is going to and is driving people to some other regions now some of those regions might still be in california of course but others might be other parts of the country and if you are someone who says you know what i want to go on a wine tasting trip but i don't want to be spending thousands of dollars on it i might look at the Texas Hill Country or no, Arizona or the Great Lakes or wherever. Mm-hmm. I think they will, but I think I, I still think for you know for the foreseeable future, you know this is this wasn't supposed to be a podcast about like how California defines the American <laughs> wine industry, Oops. but it they will. I mean, so in the very famous 1972 song off of Exile on Main Street, the greatest album the Stones ever wrote, <laughs> Mick Jagger sang in Sweet Virginia, "Thank you for your wine, California." He sang that before the Judgment of Paris, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was already a state that was very well known for its wine internationally, mm-hmm. and yes. it is what is American wine. Mm-hmm. It just, it just is. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, Zach said it also before, like um, other countries of the world, probably that's their perception yeah. of American wine as well. Yeah. For sure, and that's our. I mean, and California is what has created is what created the 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 winery experience. They're they're mm-hmm. what base they basically created the idea of winery and restaurant and tourism, mm-hmm. and that's what's been then exported to all of the other American wine regions. It's now it's being exported to France and Italy, et cetera. That did not have that kind of culture right. where yep. you could like drive up, et cetera. That's all California, mm-hmm. and yes, so absolutely. California's and, American and play, wine. Play bocce and play uh, cornhole, right? And- exactly, <laughs> and like and basically third spaces and great, mm-hmm. you know burgers with you know with wine. I mean pizza with wine. Like if you go to Italy, mm-hmm. the amount like the amount of pizzerias you find in, in places like Napa and Sonoma they're like yeah come bring your red wine and whatever and, and your champagne and drink with and your sparkling wine sorry not champagne <laughs> and, and eat with pizza like you would never find a pizzeria in a lot of these Italian wine regions they drink beer with pizza mm-hmm. you know that's just yeah. not part of their culture mm-hmm. and that's all been you know that's the California cuisine too that's just completely influenced what people expect the kind of food they expect when they get to wineries mm-hmm. is all California cuisine right so yeah it's American wine <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, we don't call it Might California drop. Wine Month, so maybe we should uh, we should uh, a little bit look at another right, piece converse- of this, which I think is no. But the conversation was what is how do you define American I wine? Know. That's I how know. I'm defining American wine is it's California wine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just fair saying. enough. I mean, I don't know. You're the man. You're the man who just opened a 20 year old bottle of wine from Virginia. So I love I, that I wine. <laughs> I love that wine. I think it's really interesting. But like the majority of people, again, the majority of people that you say to who, who are wine drinkers, I'm drinking wine from Virginia. Say. No fucking way. That's good. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking even. I'm drinking a wine from New York State. Mm-hmm. Really? 
you know, go, go, go down south and tell them that. Go to Atlanta, where they mm-hmm. have like, one of the largest wine auctions, at, you know, the High Museum of Art wine auction every year is like considered to be an epic wine event in the country. No one is auctioning off wines from Virginia and the Finger mm-hmm. Lakes, great wine regions, because they are auctioning off crazy wines from Napa and mm-hmm. Sonoma and then other parts of the world. But see, mm-hmm. I wonder if this is a, if this is a topic where we're, where we're seeing a, a little bit of a change because I don't doubt that at the top of the wine market, yes, the most expensive wines produced in the United States are all produced in California. You know, maybe you get some very high end Pinot Noir from the Willamette Valley, but basically if you're talking about the, you know, the absolute tip of the iceberg in in um, or the top of the pyramid in America, you're talking about California wine. But that isn't what most people are drinking day to day. People are not drinking thousand dollar bottles of wine, and so no, they're drinking red blends in California. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but I mean, I, but I think the point is that that I do think that you're seeing in in the expansion of these wine regions throughout the country more interest, whether it's maybe it's just locally, maybe it's not national or international at this point in a lot of these places. But you are certainly seeing. I mean. Yes, certain passionate people might say, I believe that I can make great wine in the Finger Lakes. But most people who go into that business at least have to think they can sell it. And they probably, if you're in a a wine region like the Finger Lakes, which doesn't have like a huge population center right there, you're probably counting on being able to sell it to people besides people who, who live within, you know, walking distance of the lakes or whatever. And I think that for the most part, like that is what we are seeing is that as the, you know, appetite or this country has grown, people throughout the country are looking to, meet that demand locally, right? Or at least regionally. And so it's true that California is going to be the access and entry point for a lot of drinkers, especially if you're not particularly near a wine region or you're outside of the country. And that's fine. I mean, it is by far the biggest producing state. It has some of the most famous regions and wineries and all that. But at the same time, like, I think we are missing something if we if we are as reductionist as saying, you know, because California is the big player in this in the country that all American wine is California wine in the same way that we wouldn't say that or wouldn't have wanted to say that about beer. You know, not all not all American beer is macro lager, even if that's the biggest player in the category. But if you want to talk about like influence, yes, all wine in America right now is currently influenced by the wine being produced in California. One hundred percent. It's just like when you look at craft beer, there was a there was a time when all the beers being produced were being were being influenced by the beers being produced on the West Coast, mostly again California. Then it changed, <laughs> and you had all the beers being influenced now by wines basically coming out of like Massachusetts and Vermont and New Hampshire and these East Coast IPAs and beers. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. like, so if we're ta- if we're having a conversation about you know should we be paying attention to other regions in America other than California? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm happy to have that conversation. But if we're having a conversation about what how do you what is the definition of American wine, mm-hmm. it's California wine. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, yeah. see you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was like, you know, 15 minutes longer so. than it needs to be. We should have started it into there. And I rest my case. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Surgical <laughs> strike from Tim there. That was the best. But yeah, I mean, look, I'm happy to, I'd love to hear other people's opinions who listen to the podcast. Um, you know, shoot us a note, let us know what you They're think. wrong, but. <laughs> no, what do you think, Joanna? Do you think I'm wrong? No, I, I, I agree. I think that it makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that, like I said earlier, I think other people from other parts of the world probably think that of American wine as well. Um, I don't, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't consider these other regions. I think they're important. And like Zach said, they're 
you know, maybe we're moving in a different direction um, as they gain popularity and, uh, you know, recognition. Um, but yeah, I think for, for for this particular prompt and conversation, then it, that seems to make sense to me. So I have one last thought here, and, and I'll leave it at this, on my end at least. So if the United States were analogous to Europe, and each of these states or regions were their own country, we wouldn't necessarily lump you know, California and um, the Finger Lakes together any more than we lump France and Germany together in general, other than as sort of a broader political unit. We, we don't talk about German well, they lines went to war through the lens of... <laughs> So, so they went to war against each other. Well, I mean, I mean you, you might be aware of a, of a certain civil war in this country, for example. <laughs> but um, that was, I mean, was California even really a player at that point? <laughs> no, not so much, I guess. But, um, <laughs> in any case, the point I'm trying to make is I, I think that certainly if you were to talk about European wine in aggregate, probably, you know, certainly given the way I've been exposed to the way people talk about European wine, it is often through a, a you know, sort of a, a France-centric Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, lens. Mm-hmm. And so, and so if we want to sort of, uh, you know, analogize France and California in these two examples, <laughs> I can see where you're coming mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. But I also think that like, you know, and I don't think that you're saying this at all. Obviously you don't believe that oh, we should only be talking about California wine, but it is, it is true that like there is a way in which, because we, it, this, this, you know, landmass is still currently one political unit um, that uh, <laughs> yeah, we are that's pretty dark are a little bit currently. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when people are going to listen to this. I don't know what the future holds, man. You know, you talked about a gigantic earthquake, so I can talk about, you it's know, true. the political dissolution of the United States. In any case, <laughs> um, the point is, I do think that um, that you're right, that California casts a very long shadow at a minimum. But I also think that it's important for all of us to remember that, you know, again, it's a big country. There's there's a lot going on. And while California still kind of rules the roost, I think it's interesting to think about the ways in which other regions have both, you know, kind of leaned into the their Californianess and also tried to break away from it. So, I mean, mm-hmm. what I would what I would challenge you to bring to the, t- the discussion next week is tell me who's the, who who would be the state in the United States that would become more influential in the future hmm. over American wine than California. If you can do that. I'm not sure that's possible because California is like the biggest state that produces wine. Like it's, it, that's partially just a landmass, you know, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen of the jury. I rest my case. I rest my case. Fair enough. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, it is just crazy. That it does. I agree with all the things you're saying. I would be able, I think I would also argue on the European side that, yeah, I think France it has cast a very large shadow and that that's why you see so many of these wineries around Europe who like go to France to, to study winemaking, to bring the French influence mm-hmm. into their wines, et cetera, right? It's the same idea of like they're – for some reason they're getting more praise. They're being more successful, et cetera. So like they all go. I mean when I was just in Greece touring a lot of the wineries there, all they wanted to tell me was about how their most recent winemaker had gone and worked in France. Yeah, and had like learned that way of winemaking, and I'm like, well, but maybe your way is also fucking cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah. well, and I think you're seeing that you've seen that here with UC Davis and a lot of people training in California and in Napa. But again, just like in Europe and in in these places like Greece, where you're seeing, uh, I think a little bit of a pivot away from that, at least in some places, or yeah. at least not, you know, kind of see thinking that only the French know how to make wine. I think you are seeing uh, more, you know, kind of homegrown, home taught winemaking in other parts of the country, including the the opening and development of great viticulture and vinification programs and universities 
throughout the country. Yeah, you totally. know, there's great programs in Cornell. There's great programs here in Washington Virginia State. Tech. You know, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Very cool. Well, let us know what you think about this episode. Uh, shoot us an email, podcast at vinepair.com. Uh, tell us how much California wine you drink. And uh, I, I promise you this was not brought to you by the state of California. <laughs> uh, and uh, Zach and Jane, I'll talk to you Friday. Thanks, guys. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also... I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.